Okay, so on the back of your handout, on the songs, uh, there's the verse under how he loves. He is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy when all of a sudden I'm aware, unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Uh, speaking of the love of God, um, I, I hope as you were singing those, maybe you thought about the hurricane uh, going on in New Orleans and Isaac, and, and, it's, and it's hitting New Orleans today, uh, going right over Baton Rouge. And I, we got a text earlier from some of our best friends uh, in Baton Rouge that said, um, thanks, y'all, for checking in. We're out, of, uh, out at Ryan's parents with Jason and Lee's family, too. The eye is supposed to come right over us out here, and Baton Rouge is getting the east side of the storm. Power's out everywhere. Uh, wind and rain are ramping up. Please pray for everyone's safety. We'll keep you posted. Um, I wrote back uh, later in the afternoon. Um, what's the update? You guys okay? said, yeah, it's getting pretty bad. And I said, praying for you. Anything in particular we could pray for? That was 630 and I haven't heard back from them. I'm assuming maybe cell phone service is out. So with that in view, uh, would y'all join me in praying uh, for families like this family, Ryan and Bonnie, and also all those that are in New Orleans uh, that are affected by this disaster. So let's pray. Uh, dear God, uh, hurricanes are devastating. Uh, they are unstoppable, and we tremble before them. We tremble before such power. Uh, We realize uh, no matter where we are, rich or poor, um, young, old, um, wherever we stand, that we are at mercy of you, Lord. And we have no recourse uh, but in our weakness to go to you and to pray uh, and to to seek uh, your salvation, to seek mercy and grace. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would hold back uh, um, this wrathful storm from, from taking lives and from destroying homes and that you would spare many families, um, especially Ryan and Bonnie, our friends, and that you would care for them, that you'd bless them, that you'd be uh, near to them in this time. As we are uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles away, would you give them peace um, from you uh, as they're scared, as they're afraid, um, as um, businesses may be... Um, overturned and, and um, demolished uh, by floodwaters. Lord, we pray for recovery, for restoration, for churches and Christians to, to take up uh, redemptive activity uh, in New Orleans and in Louisiana. Lord, we, we pray for mercy. Uh, give, us, give us help. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be looking at uh, John 13 again tonight. Last week, we looked at the washing the feet passages. And here, after Jesus has washed feet of, of his disciples and said, year to go wash feet. Remember, Christianity is not about uh, face, face time and, and having it all together, but it's about service. This is how you'll be ready to live and to die. Um, we, we, it shifts gears a little bit, and, and we have this, this text which talks about the betrayal that Jesus will endure from the enemy, from Judas Iscariot. How is Jesus going to be crucified? Well, Judas Iscariot will betray him. Um, Judas, not no one loves Judas. Judas is a bad guy. 
But then, after a discussion with his, with, his, with his followers, Jesus predicts that Peter, one of his best friends, will betray him three times. So hear these words, and let's, let's consider this story uh, and how we really do identify with, with all of the betrayers in this text. We all do. How it leads us to, to consider ourselves in, in Christ. Okay, verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in, this, in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So, so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas, Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what you need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, speaking to his uh, friends, he says, Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so I also say to you, where I am going you cannot come. As a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Jesus said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, uh, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. That's the end of the reading of God's word. May he bless it and write its eternal truths on every one of our hearts tonight. That's my prayer. Amen. Um, so we we're looking at these. J- Peter has just asked the question. He's saying, where are you going? I want to follow you. I want to go and, and die with you if that's the case. And Jesus says, no, you're going you're gonna to be a hypocrite. You're going to deny me three times. You're going to be like Judas. And so like, over and over, Peter is going to fail Jesus. And I think the question if you're, a, if you're a failure, if you fail at Christianity, like me, you want to know, how do I change? How do I become a better man, better woman? How do I, how do I get past that infinite loop of no progress that I feel? And I know if, if one thing's certain about Jesus, he wants to change you. He wants you to be better. He wants you to not live in a state of spiritual adolescence the rest of your life. He wants you to be full-grown. He wants you to grow He'll talk about that in in this talk to his disciples. When he talks about the vine and the branches, 
Many of, many of you, that might be your favorite verse in John 15. He wants you to grow. And the aim of the gospel here is that we have life, an abundant life in him. And so he wants us to have that eternal life, that eternal life that's more than just getting out of hell, but it's living a blessed life in the presence of God. And so how's it going to happen? There's no magic formula. I'm 33 years old, and I know there's no magic formula. That's why I'm called to campus ministry. Uh, I'm 15 years older than some of you, and I've, I've lived it. I've failed, and I know that I cannot get over it and change by a magic formula. So there's no silver bullet to growth in Christianity. Uh, it's not doing my quiet time every day. It's not going to church or small group or RUF or praying more, just being more spiritual than the next guy. It's not just having the right friends and getting rid of the, the wrong friends. It's not just staying away from the bad sins, okay? It's not that thing. Uh, no, it's, there's no magic bullet. But the one thing that I do know, and the one thing I think that Jesus is calling us to reconsider here by the way he, he lines up what he's saying to them, is to retell your story every day yourself, to know yourself and not be deluded and delusional into thinking you're somebody you're not to know yourself. And so he's going to group things. I find grouping to be very helpful. Okay. Now, no one wants to be labeled, but we label ourselves all the time. Just last night, thousands upon thousands of people met in Florida uh, for a GOP convention. Did they not? Okay. Grouping ourselves helps us to know things about us. I have a thing on my phone called groups. And and you guys joke with me because I text you all the time reminding you about RUF things. But it helps me to wade through my contacts and say, these are REF people who need to get my text, and these are people who don't. Okay, so I don't send the wrong text people. Grouping helps. And so I'm going to make the point here that there are a group of three in this text, actually. Three. In, in, in John 13, 21 through, through 33, and there are three betrayers. The first one is the unforgiven betrayer. The second one is the restored betrayer. The third is the storyteller betrayer. And, and our, our main point tonight here is that if we're going to be ready to die, if we're going to be ready to live, we've got to be able to tell our story of, re- of restoration of our own sinful selves by our Savior and our salvation. We've got to know that and retell it every day or we're going to become like walking dead people. Okay, we've got to group these people and look at them individually. So the first one is the unforgiven betrayer. Um, now, Judas Iscariot, okay, like, We are, in a sense, all Judas Iscariot, are we not? Um, We're well acquainted with Jesus. Now, I looked up all of the greatest betrayers in the history of the world on Google. That's where I find all my information and study for sermons. Um, I Googled the ten worst betrayers. You know what I came up with? Several of them you've probably heard of throughout history, but number one on the list was Judas Iscariot, okay? Why is Judas such a bad guy? Okay, well, he was very well acquainted with Jesus. You see, he was sitting there at the table in the, in the inner circle with Jesus in verses 25 through 26. He's right there with him. And, and, and here he is right there with Jesus at the most intimate meal. He had just washed the feet of Judas, for goodness sake, Jesus had. But Jesus says this guy's soul was not cleansed. And he's the pattern of every betrayer of God. You see, Jesus welcomes him, he welcomes you, he welcomes all of us to know the Father. He offers kindness over and over and over. And Jesus even gives him the best piece of the meal that they're having, yet he sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. And so let's just, just for a minute, consider just how much that cost. 30 pieces of silver for Jesus. What did, it, what did that actually do for Judas? 
Um, well, a silver piece is almost certainly a Roman denarius. And a denarius, we see in Matthew 20, is a typical wage for a day laborer. Okay? So 30 of those, 30 of those, 30 days' wages, that's about five weeks of work. Okay? Five weeks of work. If you take a six day work week and divide it by, or divide 30 by a six day week, five weeks of work. A five-week paycheck he sold out for Jesus. In terms of purchasing power, um, every silver piece was worth about 20 bucks. As the standards of living weren't that much back then, uh, much lower than our standards of living. We're all rich in comparison to that, right? And so 30 pieces are worth about $600, okay? If you were to, if you're going to do all the math and the conversions, I'm going to get to the, the, cut to the chase here. Today, that would be $4,200, $4,200 for Jesus. Now, a lot of you guys can't even buy books for that for a semester, right? You can't afford a, a, you know, a housing plan for that. You can't afford residence hall. Some of you, your, your tuition alone is more than $4,200 unless you're a National Merit you know, Scholar. Okay, then they're paying you $4,200. Okay, so, like, so, so certainly that's not a life-changing amount of money, though. Uh, why, would, why would this guy do that? It's like this, this Judas story streams out idiot dumb dumb okay like you know you just saw jesus raise a guy from the dead and say to him get out of the tomb and walk this is the guy who just washed your feet and said he's going to die on a cross for you and you're gonna you're gonna go and give away jesus for the modern equivalent of books that owe you and so we judge judas right because none of us would have done that right but we all have a price we've all got a price and we've all we all have prices Things we're unwilling to give over. Things we must have. You know, and if we persist in that life of betrayal, we're going to end up just like Judas. Viewing money, or friends, or whatever it is, as more dear to us than Jesus. And we will not be ready to die. And so, betraying God, it always looks foolish when we're looking at somebody else. But we don't ever turn that lens in on ourselves. Um, when we betray God... We, we, if we just think about the times in which we've sinned, we keep going back to the same well of sin. And, and we think about the return on the investment it gives to us. It always leaves us poorer than we were before, doesn't it? Jesus left Judas behind, and the next time we see him is in John 18. Look on your handout at John 18. Turn over to John 18, if you, do, if you will. Look at the last time we see him. Here's what it says. When Jesus had spoken these words, this is after the, we're going to go through 13 through 17. So right after this, this is when he gets betrayed. Um, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, which he, uh, he and the disciples entered. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus, uh, where he often met his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. The last time we see Judas Iscariot in this gospel, he was knocked on his back. Isn't that interesting? Knocked on his back. The first betrayer was knocked on his back, on his rear end. 
the kindness of God had eventually ran out for this guy, uh, for this betrayer. And we don't want to be on the other side of Jesus when we meet him, do we? He will knock us back, so to speak. Um, And so the destiny of the first betrayer is flat on his back, and he eventually was destroyed by himself. If you know the rest of the story, he committed suicide. Self-destruction, one way or another, is exactly where every one of us goes without God's grace. God did not give grace to Judas, and he perished. So the first betrayer ends very badly. Second betrayer in this story is the obvious one here, Peter, which we read about at the end of our, end of our chapter, didn't we? Um, Peter, Jesus says, well, I would never betray you to Jesus, but Jesus says, yes, you will. And so Peter, and we don't read this in our text, but it, it will get to that. After the fact, there was so much shame and embarrassment and fear. Now, some of you are too young. This is your second week of school. You're too young to have had your first butt whip in college exam, okay? You haven't had it yet. It's coming. There's going to be that day when you're going to have to log in and check your grades. And you're going to stop by and see the grades posted. And you're going to have that sinking feeling in your gut, in your stomach, where you know you didn't give it your all, and you know it's going to be bad. We know you didn't do your best, and the tests get the better of you. And you're going to have to man up and take that grade. Because you did it. And Peter knows he did it. He has done this. He has betrayed Jesus, not once like Judas, but three times. And so multiply that feeling you will have or have had when you know there's bad news coming. And multiply that times infinity here. Okay, because Peter had betrayed Jesus, his best friend and his Savior. And you could see the illness of him, how ill he might feel. And so in 38... You look back at verse 38 and you think, might think, you know, you know, you look at Peter and think, well, maybe you're better than that. Peter thought he was better than Judas. He's better than that guy, the, the betrayer. And you think, well, maybe you're better than the obvious sinners of campus here at OU and in the world. And you think, surely you wouldn't sell out Jesus like, like Judas would for five weeks of pay. Five weeks of pay. And how does Jesus respond to yours and my pride like that? Now notice here, he loves Peter. He absolutely is crazy about Peter. What does he do to Peter? Because he loves him, he won't allow him to sit there and judge the other people self-righteously. He won't, look at him, he won't allow Peter to look at Judas and say, I'm better than him. Okay? He won't allow him to sit in self-righteousness and go on living in la-la land spiritually. Peter, he tells Peter, you're worse. Before the rooster crows, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times. Judas will sell me out once, but you're going to do it three times as much before this night is over. Okay, so the application here is if you've ever felt, have you ever felt that you're three times worse than Judas? Has anyone in this pit ever felt three times as bad as Judas? And that's what Jesus says that we are. Three times as worse as the worst traitor in the history of the world is what Jesus thinks about you. But what do you think about yourself? What do you think about your own spirituality? What do you think about that? Over and over again, do you habitually judge the Judases out there, the obvious sinner, and excuse yourself? Most of us live oblivious to the fact that, that we're willing to put money over Jesus, 30 pieces of silver down. But I'm willing to put 30 pieces of silver down tonight against you um, that no single person in the passion pit has ever prayed something like this. 
which, like, just think about this. No one here has ever prayed anything like this. And listen to this prayer. Lord, I know I'm three times worse than Judas Iscariot in the ways I betrayed you. Has anyone ever said that? No one has ever said that, probably. Anyone? Maybe somebody? No one's ever said that. That's what Jesus is telling Peter he is. He hasn't owned it. Have we owned it? Follow on. Lord, I have never, Lord, I know I'm three times worse than him. Three times worse than the guy who betrayed you. But my sins and betrayals do not define me. What defines me is that though I wouldn't even die for myself, you died for my salvation. You returned to me a heinously guilty person and met me where I was in filth and you forgave me and restored me. That's how you pray. That's how you pray. You turn it back on you and you turn the light on Jesus and say, I'm this bad, but you love me much more than I'm bad. And have you ever felt that? I'm feeling it right now. I feel absolutely unworthy. And I believe that the kind of sorrow over my own sin and the betrayal of Jesus, coupled with seeing the grace of God, will change me. and It will change this campus. That's it. And so if you've ever felt that kind of weight about your own sin, you'd be more humble. If you've ever, if you've ever done that, you'd, you feel more accepting of others, more willing to cross barriers and to love others at OU more willing to, to, to give a weekend of your time. And I just want to say, you'd be, if you feel this, I just would like everyone here to just give a weekend of your time to go build houses for somebody you don't know and love them in that way because Jesus has loved you in such a way to forgive you. The gospel tells me if I'm going to become more, less Judas-like, I've got to own my own worthiness and give. And so that's what he tells Peter. Um, look back at your handout on, on John 22, or John 21. This is after the resurrection. When he comes to, when, he, when Jesus returns, again, Peter's expecting judgment. The last thing he'd seen of Jesus before the crucifixion was Judas get knocked back on his, on his rear end. And so when, when Judas, or when, when, the, when Jesus returns, Peter's got to be thinking, I'm next. I mean, I'm worse than, than Judas. What's going to happen? Okay, so basically, they're going to go fishing, okay? And so Peter's out in the boat. I'm going to skip down. Um, in verse 10, after this miraculous uh, catch of fish, Jesus tells him to bring the fish. And so Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And another disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord resurrected. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. That was the third time that Jesus had revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, this is like the big elephant in the room, what's he going to do with Peter? What's he going to do with Peter? The, the one who is obviously beside himself because he's betrayed Jesus three times. And so he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it the third time. See, he had paralleled the betrayals with, do you love me? Do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. Lord, you know I do. Everything you know, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Okay, so let's just stop there for a minute. Um, 
what does he do? He comes to him with redeeming love, and he says, I am not only giving you forgiveness, but I'm giving you leadership to go and feed sheep, to feed people, to care for people. I'm so for you. I want you to be a leader in the church, um, to, to be the man, okay? And so that's the kind of love and the kind of redemption that Jesus can give to us, that we can be significant in service. That's our calling. And so the key for tonight is to sit and listen to the stories of the two betrayers, and as you and me, as a third betrayer, to start to write our own story. And I want you to see what the third betrayer does. We looked at the first two. The one that was unforgiven and the one that was restored. So the third one is us, and it's John. It's the guy who wrote this gospel. If you look back at the first text that we read in verses 23 through 25 in John 13, if you look at John 13, what does it say? It says there was a disciple there whom Jesus loved, and that disciple rested on Jesus. And so Jesus told, had just told them Judas would betray he would, and, and, and so this guy saw the deed. He saw Judas sell Jesus out for five weeks of pay. He saw Jesus knock Judas down. And then everything else that happened, which was Peter betraying Jesus, being beside himself and being restored, he'd seen that. And he'd seen Jesus raised back to life. And you've seen that. Hopefully, you've seen that. You've seen Jesus confront an even worse betrayer in Peter, maybe even in you. Somebody who habitually, over and over and over, should have known better, betrays Jesus. That's Peter. That's us. Someone who ought to be ashamed and embarrassed and afraid like Peter was. And Jesus here forgives that kind of person. He not only forgives that kind of person, but makes him a leader over those who are forgiven also. And so this guy is seeing that. He's seeing, oh, wait, I, they're not only betrayers, I'm a betrayer, okay? When, when Jesus was crucified, I ran away. I ran away also. And so Peter here, this big-time church leader, John, the big-time church leader, look, are, are these betrayers, and Jesus gives guys like that who've wrecked the hoopty keys to the brand-new Porsche. Okay, they've got, they've got, they're leaders in the church. And, and, and have you seen yourself as that poor of a candidate, a beggar in poverty with nothing to offer, and Jesus comes to you and gives you immeasurable riches of his grace? And you've laughed and you've scoffed at him. You thought Jesus was unnecessary. You're better. They're, they're the, they've got the problems. But Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to break through that hard heart of yours. And now you can believe that he's essential. And so my call to you tonight is my call to myself is we've got to stop throwing Judas under the bus. And we've got to start throwing ourselves under the bus a little bit more. We've got to stop throwing Judas and others under buses and believe that we have driven the bus that's run over Jesus. We've got to stop doing the th- throwing people under the bus and realize it was us who ran Jesus over. Our sin put him on the cross. That's why, because he loves us so, he went and died for us because we needed that. Stop throwing him under the bus. Stop throwing Jesus under the bus. We drove Jesus over. And so until we realize that, until we realize, you know, he's under a bus that we caused.
with our sin, rebellion, and self-destruction, we're never going to love. We're never going to accept Jesus. We're never going to love anybody else. We're going to love ourselves because we don't believe we need it. We don't believe we need forgiveness. And so how do we break the cycle of sin, grief, and sinning again, never getting better, is to retell the story. And so John here, he again, he tells, he renames himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. That trumps his birth name. That trumps his, trumps his credentials. Any kind of spiritual achievements, and he had plenty. I mean, he started churches. He saw Jesus. He healed people. He could have said, I'm, I'm John the healer. I'm John from so-and-so. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, a follower of Jesus. And the most noteworthy of thing about him was not something about him that he did, but it's somebody who loved him. It's that Jesus feels this way about him, and Jesus does something for him. And so you've got to stop defining yourself by what you have, you've done or what's been done to you. You've got to be defined by what Jesus does for you, how he feels about you, and what he's done for you. And so the only way out of the infinite loop of betrayal is to redefine your whole existence and your whole story, to find yourself in Christ and ready to die. You can do that. It's to stop walking around like a zombie, like a walking dead, with no life in you. It's knowing yourself, your Savior, and retelling that story every day. And so, uh, just close with this. In the summer, summer um, this year, I, I spent a lot of time watching Walking Dead. It's a show. Some of you've seen it. Um, I don't usually watch zombie shows because I know how they're going to end. We always beat the zombies, right? But I was wondering, like, what would happen if the zombie won? Like, if the zombies actually beat the humans and there were no more humans, what would zombies eat then? Okay, first of all, they eat humans, okay? So, like, would they start turning in on each other and, and like, eating one another, okay? And it's because, like, a zombie is, you know, looking out for number one, consuming, uh, devouring flesh, ripping, and, and consuming everything. It's kind of the way we live a lot of times, very cannibalistically upon one another. Uh, well, the main characteristic, or characters here um, don't want that to ever happen, right? Of course, if, if, if zombies took over Norman, we would fight them, right? And so zombies here in Walking Dead take over Atlanta, and the main characters are in a shopping mall in season one, right? They're in a shopping mall, and the zombies, there are thousands of zombies crowding in on this, on this, on this mall. And so in order to, to, to you know, get out of there, they're, they're, I mean, they're going to die. The zombies are going to get in. They're trying to get in. So what do they do? Well, they've determined... That the, the, the way zombies eat is they smell life, okay? They're dead. They're walking dead. But in order to, to know what to eat, they smell living things. And so what they do is they let one zombie come in the door, and they shoot that zombie. And then they cut that zombie open. And the two heroes take zombie guts and intestines and rub them all over their bodies. And they take zombie you know, intestines and string them around their their necks and their heads and their hair, and they are covered from toe to the top of their head in zombie insides, deadness. And so then the two heroes walk outside into, I mean, thousands and thousands of zombies. How many have seen this scene? Like thousands of zombies. And you're just like, like, okay, any minute they're going to be eaten and devoured by a mob of zombies. But no, the trick works. Okay, they have deadness on them so the, so the zombies can't smell the life. And guys, that's exactly, that's exactly what Jesus does. And in the story, we are underneath sure destruction. Okay, zombies are pressing in, and Jesus takes the death of our betrayal, and he wears it, he owns it, in order to go and rescue us. He takes death all the way to the tomb. 
and then he rises out of it to rescue us. Just as those two heroes in the show went through the zombies wearing death to bring back a van to rescue all the other people out of the mall and fight off the zombies, that's how Jesus does it. And that's unquestionably the nastiest illustration I've ever used in RUF. That is disgusting to think about not only guts, but zombie guts rubbed all over you. Okay, is it not? Okay, gross. Okay, but the cross is grosser. It's God-loving sinners who are wrapped in death, wrapped in intestines of sin and betrayal. That's what he does, and the only way he can do it is for his own son to be crucified and to literally die the death and unbear the curse that you could never bear for your own sins so that you could be saved. That's it. Somebody had to do that. You're worse than Judas Iscariot. I'm worse than Judas Iscariot. He got gross so I could get clean, though. And so you see, you're worse than Judas, but Jesus is more glorious than you've ever imagined. Okay, you're worse than you've ever thought you are, but Jesus is better than you've ever realized he is. The grace of the Savior is better than you can imagine. And so if you believe that, your story changes tonight. It's absolutely a new story. He's a dying Savior, Savior, and you're the disciple whom he loved. Your name is no longer your name. Your name is a disciple whom Jesus loved. You've seen the story of betrayal. You've seen yourself in it, and you re-identify yourself as a disciple whom Jesus loved, and you rest upon him, and it changes everything. That's it. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Prepare us to die. Prepare us to live well. Prepare us to love well. Lord, make us give because you've given so much. You've taken on death, and we will give you glory. Uh, Lord, I pray for for great um, work of missions to to come about from this group, uh, that we would uh, take on uh, callings to go and do summer missions, that we take on callings to to go and rebuild houses, that we take on callings to go and redeem uh, things that are broken and and, and restore them. Uh, Lord, as you have worked redemption in our hearts through the gospel, would you give us power uh, to, to, to see hurting on the campus and to be there and to be helpful, be ready to live for others. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, Justin. Um, the next, the last song we're doing tonight is called On Jordan's Stormy Banks, I Stand. Um, just a little explanation. Uh, it's a really old song, so if you're not Presbyterian, Church of Christ, never been in RUF, you probably haven't heard it, uh, but it's really good. And the chorus is an echo, and so it's guys will be like, I am bound, and I am bound, girls will echo. Uh, just so you're prepared for that. Uh, but... Just a little explanation. It uses a lot of Old Testament, talking about Canaan and Jordan and stuff like that. But uh, the point of the song is that um, that we are bound for the promised land, that we're bound for heaven. And in light of that, nothing on this earth matters. So as we stand on these, like in the middle of this storm, that we can look through that uh, to just the eternal blessings that God has in sword for us.
and play sand volleyball after this. So in like 10 minutes, we're going to head that way and play sand volleyball. And you should come because it's going to be awesome. <laughs> 